0: What's up party people? Welcome to this week's episode of Romancing Nancy Drew. I'm your host Indy Nickerson, which stands for Nancy Drew Nickerson. You can find me at that handle on Twitter or you can find me at Romancing Nancy on Twitter if you're so inclined. This week's episode is brought to you by cough drops (laughs) because I could not record last week because my sore throat was just intense. So if you hear something rattling around, guess what? That's what it is. We're picking up with season eight, and we're back in the mystery stories. So we're back in 1949 with mystery stories number twenty-six. This is the clue of the leaning chimney. So before we get started, first off, ethnic stereotypes, ahoy! This one's about Chinese people. Um, the other thing is that near the end of it, things get like a bit intense, and there's like a little bit of suicidal ideation. Not by Nancy, of course. That's that's not how she rolls. But if you are sensitive to such matters, please be aware. So, let's get started. Again, it's 1949. And I just want to say this for the record. I have now cannoned that, okay, again, Nancy and Ned met in 1932, as you remember. It's now 1949. You also remember that Ned served in World War II as evidenced by a single sentence saying that he really hated what the fuck he was doing right then and was not chill with it. I have decided that at this point Ned is a a graduate student at Emerson College and you're like that can't be true. It's a college not a university. He can't be taking a graduate level course to which I say shut up. The other thing is that possibly he has been put undercover in some way, so that he is investigating something going on at the college for the next 70 years. I don't know. (laughs) Are both of these things true? Quite possibly. (laughs) Anyway, because he's still at fucking Emerson College, y'all. He's still there. He's still there. Um, And again, I'm like, you should have graduated by now. Let's just, let's, let's, Put something on this, let's say that you're doing some intense research studies or some shit is happening, okay. This one is a weird one, in that it's not really centered on a particular season. Um Ned is at Emerson, he comes home for a thing and then goes back, so it's during the school year and again, because one of these was released a year at this point, like it can be any time it can be any time that in your heart you feel that it might be. This book opens up with Nancy and Bess on their way back from a, I think they refer to it as like a rummage sale, and I absolutely refuse to pick this book back up again to look up any of the shit that I'm about to tell you, so they're on the way back home from Masonville. That sounds right. Um, it's dark. It's, it's not a stormy night, but it's definitely an overcast night, and they are go- going down this n- not often used back road to get back to River Heights. They also have like $350 with them, which inflation calculator tells me is about four grand. is in Nancy's car. And she's like, maybe I should have taken a better traveled road because I'm feeling a little bit nervous about all this money in my car. This raises several points. Are there constantly criminals, like with black masks on, following Nancy around going, I think she's about to sell some shit. We're going to need to follow her home. Sure. I mean... Of course. The other thing is that, like, is everybody around you a villain who's about to mug you? Like, not that there's not a lot of evidence in her background to say that she might honestly suspect that, but it's fine. So they're on the way back. They've got, like, four grand in the car, as one does. Also, nothing happens to it. I'm just going to say that. Just so that you relax right now, the four grand is not stolen. Other shit is stolen, but not that. Bess is, of course, nervous because she's like, oh, I wish we'd taken the other way home, and Nancy's like, it's gonna be fine, while she's like, I probably fucked this up. They come around a curve because, of course, it's a curvy dark road, and the headlights catch on somebody who is bending over something in the middle of the fucking road. Nancy, of course, like, presses her wrist against the horn, and I was like, sure, okay. Um, she swerves out of the way. She brings the car to a stop like 30 feet later, gets her flashlight out of the car. Bess is like, no, no, you should not go back and check this. That was clearly a ghost. And Nancy's like, it was not a ghost. Maybe the person is hurt. I need to make sure I didn't hit them. Bess is like, you do you. So they go over there and the guy in question, like Nancy finds this kind of bundle in the middle of the road. She's not quite sure what the fuck it is. Side note, there is absolutely no fucking reason for this dude to be out in the middle of nowhere carrying a bundle with what she finds inside. There's just not, there's just not, there's no fucking reason for this. Um, so she finds it and she's like, oh, what's this? And the guy is in the bushes at this point and he's like, go away. And then he throws a fucking rock at her and like breaks her fucking flashlight. And Nancy's like, oh, "Okay, okay, I'm gonna go away." So they get back in the car, and Bess is like, "What did you see?" And Nancy says, "That bundle had what looked like a Chinese vase in it." Now, Bess, of course, is taking a pottery class, and you're like, "Of course she is." They take all the classes offered the senior center at all times, like. You can bet your sweet ass that Nancy, Bess, and or George are going to be in attendance. Are you going to do some flower arranging? That shit is here for you. What about some square dancing? They're here for it. Like, your program is always going to have two, possibly three members, if Nancy has not been kidnapped and tied up and thrown into a closet. So, um, Bess is telling Nancy all about this pottery class she's taking, which is being offered by her cousin. I'm going to pause for effect here. Her cousin's name is Dick Milton, which sounds like a nineteen fifties high school principal who has decided he does not want to use his real name while soliciting prostitution. Dick Milton, Dick Milton. Like, have you ever more clearly heard an alias? I think not. So Bess is taking that pottery class, and she's like, "Oh, you should come by and that the vase that you described, because she did, she says that she saw like part of probably a red dragon on it." Bess is like, oh, that sounds like the one that's in the window of my cousin's pottery shop slash studio. Cause of course it's 1949. The world has gone crazy. So Nancy's like, I I got a bad feeling about that. So they go by the store and of course the fucking vase is not in the window anymore. Um, yeah. So Bess is like, maybe he put it away for the night. Nancy's like, yeah, not feeling great about that, so Nancy gets best to call her cousin, who was like, what the, what do you mean it's gone, so he comes out of the, to the stop immediately, and is like, oh, holy shit, not only has the vase been stolen, there was also a small green jade elephant, and you're like, of course there was, of course there fucking was, that is, that is the modus operandi in these books, there's gonna be a fucking green jade elephant, you just need to accept it, that's gone as well, Somebody broke into his studio and, and took those things out of the window and now they're gone. And they weren't his. He didn't make them. They were on loan from a Mr. Sung who, um I'm not I don't remember how the two of them met, but anyway, um uh, Mr. Sung is an importer of of course Chinese vases, etc. And he lent them to Dick because I swear. I swear. Dick Whitman. I'm just going to start calling him Dick Whitman. <laughs> um, He lent them to Dick so that his shop would get more traffic, like, because he's not doing that hot. Which, BT dubs, like, whenever Bess was like, yes, my cousin Dick Milton, who has a pottery studio, I was like, my gaydar is pinging. Tell me more about him. Hairstyle, tell me all And then he's, he's talking to Nancy and he's like, I just really want my shop to be successful so that my wife and child will be proud of me. And then he is able to tell Nancy how old his daughter is down to like the hours. And so I was like, okay, okay. So we've got some pluses and we've also got some minuses. Okay. it's fine. So Nancy agrees to help Dick track down the missing vase and jade elephant for Mister Sung because Dick says that it's it's up to him to basically pay Mister Sung back for it. He's like, now Mister Sung was like, you know, it's it wasn't your fault. It's fine. I've got insurance on it, but insurance is not going to pay for the entire like price of it. And so Dick feels terribly guilty, and he's like, I'll have to. I don't know what I'll have to do. I, I, you know, the shop is not making a lot of money, and blah blah. And then he tells Nancy if only I could find this specific clay pit, and Nancy's like, sure, sure, um, yeah, that would solve all your problems, what the fuck, so Dick tells Nancy that he was apparently on the phone, and overheard somebody in the phone booth next to his, because remember, this is ancient times, when there were phone booths, and they were next to each other, <laughs> um, he overheard somebody talking about a pit of kaolin clay that was near a leaning chimney, and apparently, kaolin clay is, like, very, very good for porcelain and other china works. And so, Dick was like, if I could find that, and if I could use that in my pottery, I could make, like, some really kick-ass pottery, and, like, everybody would come to my shop, and it'd be fantastic. And Nancy's like, sure, uh, obviously, but that sounds perfectly reasonable. She's like, where is it? And he goes, I, I don't know. The guy was gone when I tried to, like, I finished my column, went out there, and he was gone, and, and I have no idea. And Nancy's like, Yeah, that, that all seems legitimate. Um, any any clues? And then he's like, I think it was supposed to be near Masonville, which as you remember, is where Nancy and Bess were coming from when they ran into that random guy in the middle of the road. Um, Nancy did actually report all of this, like they call the police officers, the police come out and check the shop and they see that yes, the the stuff is gone. Nancy describes a person she saw in the middle of the road, which she didn't get a really good look at him. It's the the traditional, was wearing a coat, the collar was up, the hat was down, couldn't see much of his face, etc. Of course, it's, you know, pitch black in the middle of the night. She's only got a flashlight. The guy's mean, as one does. So she's not really sure about, like, any really distinguishing characteristics. Um, darker complexion. But, again, we're entering the racist territory. So, of course, darker complexion. So, Nancy goes out to see Mr. Sung. And she is like, yeah, um, so my bestie is friends with Dick Milton and Vase and yes. So Mr. Sung has a house servant named Ching. Of course he does. Of course he does. That's, yep, yep. Um, so he answers the door and as soon as Nancy talks to him, like he, he seems to like react oddly to Nancy and I was like, evil, immediately. Anybody who doesn't immediately accept Nancy with open arms, you got some shit to hide. So But he ushers Nancy in and um Mr. Sung's like, Yeah, he doesn't speak a lot of English. Nancy's like, Of course not. Side note, in this book, particularly Carson, who I know that you're imagining John Ham and you can continue doing that. Um, he refers to Mr. Sung as the Chinese, like and that hit me wrong and I was trying to figure it out because I was like we use American as like a, just a basic descriptor. Like you use the adjective as the noun. So the American lit a cigarette, you're like, Oh, okay. So you're just distinguishing between them by nationality and that's fine. But I think that the, the breakdown actually comes in if you're discussing somebody who is from a traditionally marginalized race, like, or ethnic background, I was like, mm, cause when I tried that with certain other words in my head, it didn't work. Some it did, some it did not. So anyway, just as a side note, he says that instead of saying the Chinese man, he just says the Chinese and I'm like, mm, not, not a great look, not a great look, back off on that. Anyway, Mr. Sung has a problem and it's not just that the vase and the elephant have been stolen and you were like, I already know about that. Um, he has two friends. He has a, his friend and his friend's daughter who were going to come visit him five fucking years ago. And they're gone. He can't find them. He has no idea where they went. They were supposed to come by and, like, come see him before they went back to China. And they never did. And so Mr. Sung was actually going to contact Carson Drew about this. But since he's talking to Nancy, and Nancy's already there, he's like, I'm just, I'm, I'm going to mention it to both of you. Like, I don't know if your father can help me track them down. Um, like, see where they were last seen. I don't know if... They ran into any trouble or anything. Um, I wrote to another friend back in China who said they had not yet returned and th- thought that maybe something had happened, but nobody's heard from them in like four and a half years. The the visit was supposed to be like five years ago. They seem to be en route. I don't know where they are now. And Nancy's like, "Cool. Um, where where did they enter the country? And they entered the country in California. So of course Nancy's like, "Yes, this would very much not be California. So that's cool. That's that's just." just hitting on all cylinders um Nancy is about to talk to I I don't remember whose house they're at but anyway she goes by to see Bess and George are in the front yard practicing golf of all fucking things I mean as you know Nancy Bess and George all play golf because why not it's the 1940s what the fuck else do you have to do But anyway, they're out there practicing golf and Nancy's like, come with me. Let's, let's go investigate where we saw that guy in the woods. Because one of the strategies that's often used in Nancy Drew books is if you witness something suspicious, return to the scene as many times as possible. You're going to find clues. It's going to be like magic. They're going to just spawn there. They're going to be just magically attracted to the fact that somebody who looked vaguely shifty was there at one point in the past, kind of like ghosts. So, Nancy goes there and manifests some clues, (laughs) which is honestly one of the reasons why the original mystery stories lend themselves so well to basically like a text-based adventure. It's like, where are you going to go? Back to the scene of the crime. Oh, look, another clue. So they go out there, um, and I don't actually think they find anything, which is pretty cool. Um, but there's nothing to indicate that there's any sort of hideout in the woods or anything, which Nancy's like, son of a bitch damn it. Because of course, you know, they're, they're looking for something. There is one point in the book where they return to a location near there and um, go into the woods a little ways. And of course, Bess has creeped out the entire fucking time. And they see two guys who are like standing at a log looking down at something. And then of course, they're startled and they run away. And Nancy goes over there and notices that there's like some bits of broken porcelain, And I think like a scrap of a newspaper, because of course there's going to be scraps of fucking newspaper. Um, The bundle that she saw at the beginning of the book was also like that. It was a Chinese newspaper. isn't a newspaper that hadn't been translated into Chinese. So of course Nancy can't read Chinese. And you're like, of course. And I'm like, "Mm, yeah, no. Actually, um, a thing that happens later with Ned would indicate that he would probably be able to read it, but um, no, not at this point. It's fine. We'll get to it. I'm sure. So, um, the next thing that happens is Nancy decides to consult an expert on clay, like geology, somebody who's into rocks, things like that. So she gets, his name is Miles Monroe. Yeah, that sounds good. So she goes by his place and, um, Yeah, as soon as he sees her at the door, he's like, I don't want whatever you're selling. And she's like, I ain't selling anything, but cool. Can I come in and talk to you about clay? He tells her that he came to the area because he had heard of a clay deposit that he thought sounded pretty cool. Like, that was one of the reasons he's there. Um, It may or may not be connected to a Civil War iron smelting operation, and I want to pretend that I know what that is, but smelting to me indicates hot joining of things. That also sounds like a euphemism. I'm going to go smelt some stuff. Um, and of course, I, as I love to point out, everything in these books is like Civil War era or Revolutionary War era, which is interesting. Of course, maybe World War One was a little bit too recent and World War Two, of course, it just concluded. So maybe they were like, let's just... Let's move away from the international wars and more toward the domestic ones. IDK. Also, they're so far inland that it's not like they're going to be connected to any, like, you know, army bases or whatever the fuck. But, so, um, it's apparently near Masonville. Everything's near Masonville. Everything. Absolutely everything. Perry Masonville. I'm going to start calling it that. It's fine. Um, yeah. The other thing that I want to talk about in this book... And now's a good time to do it because everything is kind of just chaotic in this thing. Um, Ned has been invited to be an usher in a wedding. And Nancy has already agreed that she is going to attend with him. Again, they met in 1932. It's now 1949. They've known each other for 17 years. I think it's time. (laughs) I think you know each other well enough now. (laughs) Another interesting thing about the books is while the early ones, I would say like um, books one through 10-ish establish Nancy as being 16 years old. At this point, they don't establish an age for her. Um, her mother still has died when she was 10 in these books and the, when we're still in this range of books before the rewrites, but you don't get anything like a, a girl of 16 or a girl of 18. It's just like young woman, basically. Young woman about town, just poking her nose into things. It's fine. So that's the thing that comes up in the book is that Nancy has already agreed that she is going to go up to Emerson and take Ned to this wedding, which of course, because Ned is involved and is a member of the wedding party, um, he has to be there for all the wedding festivities. Yes. Okay. So Mr. Sung also runs a shop and I think it's in Perry Masonville, so it's fine. Um, also Nancy finds out that there is like Mr. Sung goes to Todd Nancy's father. Nancy's father sends a private detective to California. The private detective determines that when Mr. Sung's friends which I do want to point this out, um, Mr. Sung gives the names of his friends to Carson, and Carson tells Nancy the names of his friends, and then he says, And as you know, the the position of the family name is first, so that's why I'm saying their names this way, and Nancy's like, of course, so I did love that little detail, where it's like, you give the family name, and then the given name, instead of vice versa, um, so anyway, they found out that the father and son had been greeted when they landed by, I think it's like David Carruthers, or some shit, or David Carr, David Carr sounds right, um, yeah, so they get a description of him, And he apparently looks very interesting. Like, he's got very piercing eyes. He looks American. Um, They provide, like, his height, etc. And so Nancy's like, okay, so now I've got a description of somebody who's, like, a suspect in this. Okay, okay, that's good, that's good. Um, He was working as an importer. Yeah. And... Of course, um, because everything in this entire fucking book is tied up with pottery, um, the father and daughter who are involved in the missing persons case also were interested in slash involved in producing pottery. So, just so that you know that, just stick that in the back of your head. So, um... Nancy goes to his shop, finds out that she finds out about hallmarks that's on, that are on the bottoms of different types of porcelain figures and, and different things that are created. So she finds out that there are certain Chinese characters that like basically are the artist's mark. So it might say like created in the hall of fragrant virtue. And Nancy's like, of course, that perfectly. Yes. Makes all the sense. Um, and of course in this book, whenever she goes around to people's houses, she starts noticing that they too have Chinese pottery that they've purchased at different places. So Nancy actually is invited to a birthday party. I don't, mm, no, Ned's there. So this happens later on in the book. So we'll get to that because I think it's hilarious. Um, anyway, but yeah, at least I think Ned's there. Yeah, I think Ned's there. Makes it all the weirder. Anyway. Nancy goes to the shop, she finds out actually that, um, there's a connection, no, 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 yeah, okay, yeah, the birthday party does happen before she runs it in, she goes to the birthday party, um, she sees a piece of pottery that has, like, a peach tree is depicted, and I think there's, like, a person under the peach tree, and Nancy's like, oh, that's, that's really great, I, I love that, um, but during the party, um, somebody actually, and Nancy writes down the characters that she sees on the piece of pottery, because she sees like a little, she sees two figures that are kind of like inserted into the picture that don't really make a lot of sense there. They're like, she had to look for them. They weren't obvious. So she actually goes to the desk, copies down the Chinese characters because she can't read them, but she wants to take them to Mr. Sung and see if he can. And then she uses the blotter to blot the ink before she puts the paper into her purse. During the party, both the piece of pottery and her purse are stolen, including the paper that was inside but she's able to take the paper that she blotted it with so that she's still got a copy of it, which I thought was pretty, pretty cool. But she does feel pretty bad about it because she's like, I don't know if anybody would have stolen it back if, if they hadn't noticed me looking at it, which again indicates a certain level of surveillance on her that I find a bit like verging on the paranoid. It turns out later that no, like they weren't specifically tracking Nancy around trying to see if she was finding Chinese pottery. But the most hilarious thing about this party And, um, one reason that they were in Masonville, they go to Masonville later on in the book, um, after the the rummage sale, was so that Bess could get a a dress made for the fucking party they're going to, because hell yeah, bitches, um, I think that Bess wore, like, this frilly pink number, and of course, George wore the most stripped-down thing that she could possibly find, um, they don't bother describing Nancy's dress for this, I don't think it was, Nancy wasn't really that you know, into it. Although Nancy's gift to the birthday girl was a white kitten. I have so many questions. There's no indication as to how Nancy managed to spirit the kitten to the premises. It's fine. Um, but apparently a lot of her friends gave her lingerie and that's exactly how the book phrases it. They were like, they just showered her in lingerie. I was like, is she about to get married? Um, I've got a lot of follow-up questions. Did they go to Victoria's Secret? What? Was this just all she wanted? Um, I do think that, what was it? Oh, George gave her a baseball glove because she really wanted one and nobody else is going to give her one. And so George was like, girl, I got you. So she got her a baseball glove and everybody teased her over it. And she was like, what? I've always fucking wanted one and you guys are jackasses. So anyway, what's the name of the girl having the birthday party? Her name is Townsend, and I don't remember her first name, and I don't think she ever pops up again. I think her name is actually Helen, because I noticed that and was like, you needed to remember that Nancy already has a really good friend named Helen, so it's fine. And this is clearly not that Helen. So, okay. So they go to the party. Um, Nancy sees some footprints outside the window where the pottery was apparently taken from, and she sees that the shoes were apparently short and squat, like kind of wide-ish, so, she, of course, whenever they call the police, she brings her attention to the fact that she's found these shoe prints outside the window. So, there's that. Also, um, in the pottery theft from the studio, um, Nancy noticed that whoever had stolen stuff there actually apparently wrapped their shoes in something, so two obscure footprints. So, that's fun. Okay. So, um, when we pick up, Nancy is going to head to New York to track down some leads. So the thing about this is that when Nancy goes to New York and she sees her aunt, there's something that happens in this book that I don't remember happening in any previous book where it says that Nancy looks very much like her Aunt Eloise. and Eloise is a teacher at an all-girls school, so that's a fun detail. Um, But she also has an apartment in New York, so my thing is, like, clearly she's making bank and it's private, but it's fine. Um, she, She and Nancy do stuff to get, like, Nancy's visit is actually not that long, but she has a lead on this David Carr character who apparently is involved in the disappearance of the father and daughter, so, um, she, you know, I can't actually remember what the fuck happens in New York, clearly it's not that much, um, I think that actually she goes to a store that is selling pottery, um, finds some pottery that looks actually very similar to the pottery that she, that was described to her by Mr. Sung. Um, as the vase that was stolen from Dick Milton, which again, really a nerdy high school principal who does not want anybody to know that he is soliciting sex. Um, yeah, Dick Milton shop. Um, that vase. It looks very similar to that vase, and so Nancy's kind of worried that something's happening here because Mr. Sung was like, "This pottery is genuine. This pottery is not." Etc. Um, there was one thing that um somebody purchased when Mr. Sung was not in the store. Mm, It was that. It was that. Whenever she was in New York, like somebody says, oh yeah, that just came in yesterday. And when the proprietor comes in, who apparently knows Mr. Sung, he looks at the pottery and goes, this is clearly fake. Like this is imitation. You know, somebody, somebody made this and and passed it off to you. And it's like deeply embarrassing for Nancy, who who was looking on at the time. But then there's a scuffle and the the vase is stolen. Um and this also happens. She gets a call that apparently somebody contacted the Townsends and said that like there was a vase that looked exactly like the one that's stolen from the Townsends, which Mr. Sung said that the one that they had was genuine. So there's there's just a lot of confusion over like what's genuine, what's not, um, who's selling what to whom. Because the thing about the book is, and it plays on this pretty well somebody starts impersonating Mr. Sung, and whenever Nancy goes around and says, like, can you describe him, they're like, he was a Chinaman, and Nancy's like, "Uh uh-huh, height, um, any sort of distinguishing characteristics, did you see any, uh, did you notice any facial features that were specific, like, uh, scars, Um, anything like that, anything about the way they walked, the way they dressed, and they were like, "It, it, it was, it was just a Chinese guy, like, and you're like, cool, that you're totally unhelpful, because, of course, like, they make it sound like if you dictate some if you duplicate some mannerisms, then there you go. Just wear an appropriate robe it's fine, so um one guy actually I think that he went to the post office and did there was he was going to be arrested, actually, he said that he was Mr. Sung, and he was sending something to somebody that he shouldn't have been, or he collected on a money like he accepted money for some um basically counterfeit pottery. So they were going to arrest him, and Nancy takes him to the post office, and they were like, oh yeah, that's him, that's him. And Nancy says, okay, so um, let me get you to fill out this form in front of the cashier just to see if that rings any bells or anything. So the cashier's like, no, the, the person who did this was writing with their right hand, and you're writing with your left hand, so it's not you. And that is literally the only thing that they really noticed. They were like, oh, yeah, you do look a little bit different, but I wouldn't have noticed otherwise. Because, of course, as we all know, eyewitness testimony is notoriously terrible. So so Nancy exonerates him. He doesn't have to go to jail. Um, yeah. The thing is that Nancy goes out to where she thinks the Civil War smelting operation was, and she finds, like, a really tall wooden fence. Like ridiculously tall, like secret UFO military base tall. So she's like, what the fuck is this? And she's with Bess and George at the time. They, Nancy actually has to climb up a tree to see over the wall because she can't see, you know, it's, it's that tall. So she looks in and she's like, I just see a bunch of trees like this. There's not a lot happening here. And then she sees a leaning chimney. Um, but there doesn't seem to be any activity. There's no path in or out of the place. She can't see a gate. She can't see any way to get into this enclosure at all. But she does see like an ornament attached to the chimney. It looks like a, a piece of maybe iron that somebody has fashioned into some sort of symbol. So she sees that and she's like, I mean, it looks really old, this place looks abandoned, I uh, I don't know, it could be the, the Civil War smelting site, I don't know. Nancy has previously found a leaning chimney in Masonville, um, but it's in a populated area, so she's pretty sure that that's maybe not the one, but she went into the house and she was like, hey, um, I'm looking for a leaning chimney, and the person who currently owns the house that she's has the leaning chimney is like, oh, um, yeah, I, I do have a leaning chimney, she's like, have you... And she starts, like, asking her questions about, like, do you know of any pottery places, any clay deposits, anything like that nearby? And the woman's like, I, n- no, no, um, no, the person who is boarding with me upstairs maybe has some interest in that. And Nancy's like, oh, well, cool, can I meet them? And the woman's like, sure, his name is Mr. Manning, um, let's let's go check his room. So, Nancy, because also the person who owns the house tells Nancy that she has a trunk of papers that she basically inherited along with the building, and maybe those have some sort of clue. So, they go upstairs so that Nancy can look in the trunk, and Nancy sees somebody vanishing into the closet. And of course, Nancy's interest is immediately piqued. She goes to the closet, opens it up, and there's no one there. There's no way for them to get out. So, she starts feeling around and she finds basically a panel that has been cut into the back of the closet that goes into the next house. Like, because all the houses on this are like row houses, they're adjoining. So the person vanished into that panel. Um, the person who owns the house looks out the window and is like, help, I see him, I see him, he's, he's going over the fence. So Nancy looks in and she sees that there's some pottery that is wrapped in Chinese newspapers, which came from New York, which is one of the reasons why she goes to New York, um, I th- I don't remember if any of the boosters look specifically like any of the ones that she's trying to track down at this point. But um, yeah, so she finds this stuff that clearly seems to be related to her case. When she goes through the papers in the trunk, she doesn't find anything that's really related to that. So so she's previously had experience with a leaning chimney. And also the person who owns the house is like, yeah, I've called a carpenter to come nail that shit up, because what the fuck? The the next house is unoccupied, so that's what how he was using it. And I was like, who the fuck rents a room, cuts a hole in the closet so that they go to the next house, like, you're you're doing a lot of things that the seem a little bit over the top to me, really, like, you're thinking that there's a lot going on here that really isn't, also, Nancy looks around the room after the cops have searched it, and is like, I feel like there's more here, she pulls down the fucking window shade, and sees that the person has found some, they are, like, auction magazine pages, that the person has taken out that deal with pottery, that show like where the the house, the thing is currently housed, whatever the piece is. And so there's like four of those and Nancy's like, yeah, they're planning another theft. (laughs) (laughs) And of course the cops didn't fucking find it. So side note, because Nancy actually uses this in other books as well. If you're looking for something and you're in a house that somebody's renting, you might want to check the pull down window shade to see if they've you know, pasted some st- some stuff onto the window shade, just saying, so the other book where she uses this is actually pretty fucking cool, and I'm sure we're going to talk about that one, anyway, so so Nancy sees this ornament on the chimney and is like, huh, that's weird, and of course at that point, Bess is like, can we please go home, this is the worst, like, they hear something, and Nancy, and oh, actually, Bess is far enough away that she's able to see up to the where the chimney is as well, Like, they have to climb down from the tree and climb back up and everything, and Bess is like, oh my god, and Nancy and George are like, what, and Bess is like, a fucking skeleton hand just came up out of the chimney, I'm, I'm going home, and like, starts running immediately, and Nancy and George are like, what, there's no skeleton in the fucking chimney, what the fuck, but Bess is like, I'm not having this, I'm going home, so they go home, um, they go back later and a woman comes out wearing a lavender robe and is like, I'm one of the lavender sisters and this is a religious retreat and you are not welcome here. This is a holy property. And all of these trees are sacred and get the fuck out. And Nancy and Bess and George are like, okay. Also, she has massive dog that is apparently a watchdog. And Nancy's like, yeah, I'm not going to fuck with dogs. I'm like, no, not, not going to do that. So lavender sister, George is like, I think that was all bullshit. I think that she was just trying to warn us off the property. And she was just making, trying to make it sound like they have some, like, some sort of fucking cold out here. And I'm not here for it. And Bess was like, we don't know that that is not sacred land. And honestly, like, I do like that we are exploring both sides of this. And that Bess is like, we should respect other people's beliefs. And George is like, that was clearly bullshit. So I like that we're doing both sides on this. It's fine. So the wedding. Um, when Nancy comes back from New York, she has to go pick Ned up from Emerson and when she walks into the fraternity house where Ned lives, which, as you will remember, Nancy has stayed in on a previous trip, like right after they met, she came and stayed in his fraternity house full of young men who had things on their minds um they see Nancy and they're like, "Hey, girl, you want to go out and nancy's like um i'm I'm cool and then Ned comes in and is like let let's go peace out jokers the thing that I find most interesting about this is Ned is always presented as, like, this massive sports hero at Emerson. Like, everybody knows him and respects him and has warm feelings toward him. But Nancy is not seen as some sort of conquest to be taken away from Ned. She's seen as somebody who is just fucking awesome, period. Who just happens to be dating Ned. And the guys who want to date her want to date her because she's awesome, not because she's with Ned. And I love that I love that a lot anyway they get in the car and Nancy's like on the way home can we possibly um stop at this place that may or may not have some pottery happening and it's like of course you're into a fucking mystery right now go for it girl go for it it's fine there's one time in the book where he complains and it says that he's like mock complaining like he doesn't actually even mean it he's just like you do you girl you do you um so they go look around um they don't really find anything. They go to the geologist's place. And he um, actually went to the post office that day and received something in the mail. And he was like, I don't know what the fuck's going on with this. Here's the thing. Nancy and her father looked up who owned the land that's surrounded by that really high fence with the lavender sisters on it. And they found out that it had been bought by somebody with the name of... Miles Monroe, as in the name of the geologist, um, Miles Monroe says that he went to the post office and received a package that was addressed to him at general delivery. And when he opened it, it was full of paints. And he's like, I, I don't paint. And Nancy was like, yeah, I'm going to ask you some questions. Did you buy some land near here? And he's like, no, um, I, I don't, I've never owned land in my entire life. And Nancy's like, okay, somebody has taken your name to basically do this stuff. Somebody used your name to buy this land. Somebody is apparently doing something involving paint. And of course, you who are 14 steps ahead of everything are like, I know where this is going. You do. It's fine. Um, Nancy and Ned go to... Actually, Ned has to go to the Bachelor event, which Nancy, of course, is not invited to. And I love that the next day, like, there's no reference to the fact that he is not... They don't talk about him possibly being hung over his shit. Maybe they weren't. I don't know. I don't know what they did during the Bachelor outing, and Ned is not inclined to tell Nancy... But he and Nancy do have a picnic lunch and go out and explore, and, um, I don't think they go all the way out to the Finston property. Oh, I think they do, actually, and that may be the time where Nancy actually finds the gate. Um, anyway, they go to the wedding. Bess and George are there. Ned makes Nancy and promise that he will be the one to walk her to her seat down the aisle, and I'm like, of course you do, honey while they're sitting there watching this, Nancy is like, Ned looks so fucking hot in that suit that I want to rip it off him with my teeth. Bess is like, oh my god, the bride looks so good. I mean, she looks so romantic. And George is like, I ain't gonna wear all this shit at my wedding. If I ever get married, I'm going to get married in a suit, which that was the sound of every trans person, you know, being like, you were here for us. Because honestly, if you want to read George that way you 100% can. Like she's, she's going to hand it to you. She's going to let you hold it. It's fine. So they watch the wedding. Um, they go to the reception. Ned of course is still dressed up. He's looking hot. It's nice. Um, the, it's time for the bride to throw the bouquet. And Bess is like, Nancy, Nancy, come on. We have to go to the bouquet throwing. And Nancy goes, but kind of hangs back and the maid of honor catches the bouquet. My headcanon for this, and you know that I've got some, is first off that Ned is undercover at Emerson slash doing some intense grad work, but second, she doesn't need to catch the bouquet because they're already secretly married. Are they? Of course they are. Anyway, it's fine. Um, Nancy and Ned on the way home that night, actually, um, he's driving her car, and he's like, I love your car. Your car is hot as shit, and I love that Ned is jealous of Nancy's car. <laughs> Nancy is not in this for Ned's car. Nancy is in this because Ned enjoys rock formations and also ran a bits of trivia that help her on cases, and he is not afraid to tackle slash punch a bitch. So anyway, um, they're out there traveling. It's, of course, a dark night. Nancy's like, let's just stop at that place again. So they Ned pulls Nancy's car over. They get out of the car. Um, they're looking to see if they find any other clues. And they actually find the jade elephant. They they hear somebody nearby, and Nancy finds the jade elephant. Um, but then they hear something else, and when they get back to the car, her car is fucking gone. Ned's like, oh, my God, I should have locked the car. And Nancy's like, it's fine. <laughs> She's like, I'm sure they're just going to abandon my car. They're like, they're going to drive it five miles down the road and abandon it. And Ned's like, I can't believe this. And Nancy's like, let's just go to, there's a gas station two miles up the road. Let's just walk there. We'll call the cops. It'll be fine. And that is indeed what they do. Ned feels really shitty about this because he's like, I let your car get stolen. And Nancy's like, it's fine. Ned's like, I'm not going to go back to call. And Nancy's like, go to, go back to Emerson. It's fine. We'll find my car. It'll be fine. And they do actually eventually find her car, but um, not immediately. Nancy has noticed something interesting about the footprints that she keeps finding, and it's that apparently they are made by somebody who was wearing shoes to increase their height. I can't remember exactly how she makes that connection, but it's is based on basically the depth of the prints and the maybe the hallmark of the shoe, like maybe something that she's seen in the shoe, which since I've been listening to podcasts about junk science, I'm like, it's adorable that y'all are using the full footprint thing. Like, I'm sure that there are, there can be very clear footprints that you can match to specific shoes. So, and this is also fiction, but anyway, so. So finally, um, Nancy, she's talked to Mr. Sung. She's found out about pottery. She's, she's told him about, the symbol that she saw hung on the chimney actually um because when she went out another time it was the same ornament just with more like bars on it was how she described it so she went out to Mr. Sung and she was like I saw this character can you tell me what this means well he says oh yeah I can tell you what this means and he writes it out and what would be like translated into English and it's Nancy pronounces it as, like, fung. And he says, no, it's pronounced as bong. Well, Nancy heard somebody yelling that word when she was out there. She heard somebody yelling, and it sounded like they were saying bong, and she didn't understand what the fuck they were saying. And he's like, that means help. And Nancy's like, oh, shit. Oh, shit. I think I know where they are. And Mr. Sung's like, really? And she's like, yeah. And he's like, I'm coming with you. So Nancy... Nancy has actually snuck into the compound before, and she managed to get out, but this time, like, she goes in with Mr. Sung, who immediately wants to go out there. They leave a note for Nancy's father to tell him that, you know, what they're doing, and they leave it with the butler, who, as you're like, didn't you think he was shifty earlier? Hell yeah, you did, and he is, and you shouldn't trust him. Anyway, so Nancy and Mr. Sung go out there. They manage to sneak into the property. They manage to get into the building that has the leaning chimney on it. Um, actually they're standing outside, like looking around, making sure that everything, you know, any sort of hint or sign or anything. And they see a young woman who is about Nancy's age and a older man. And Nancy's like, are these your friends? And he goes, I, I literally haven't seen them in like 10 years. Um, I, I think so. So they overhear them talking and, Yes, it does appear to be them. They're speaking Chinese. Um, so Mr. Sung has to translate it for Nancy, but she's saying, the girl is saying, dad, like this, he's like, we can't give up hope. You know, we just, we have to persevere and get through this. And she's like, I am losing hope rapidly. You keep saying that, and like, there doesn't seem to be any end in sight, and like, there's only one way that I can see to get out of this. And he's like, No, no. And Mr. Sung is like, No, not that. And so they look up and see him, and they have a tearful reunion because he's like, I'm going to get you out of here. Okay. So here's the thing David Carr, who is the guy that Nancy has been chasing, um, met the father and daughter. Um, said that he was representing a pottery business or import company or something like that, managed to lure them to this Civil War smelting site and basically has enslaved them. So they stay there and they work for him for, like, that's it. They just work for him. That's all they do. They basically duplicate already existing works of pottery. And so while they're doing that, the father actually puts his the characters that represent his name into the the pictures that they're depicting like in a very subtle way, so because he was hoping that somebody would notice he was actually hoping that somebody would notice that a the pottery was not genuine b that his name was also in characters in said pottery, and c that somebody who was like related to immigration would would track it down because he doesn't wanna be there he doesn't wanna be in the United States under these conditions. He wants immigration to come find him and deport him. And so that was the only way that he could think of to do that. Because again, they're in the middle of fucking nowhere. They tell Mr. Sung that they've escaped like two or three times, but there's nowhere to fucking go because they don't have any transportation. They also don't speak English. So yeah. So Nancy's like, oh, we're going we're to get you out of here. There are also other Chinese workers who are there under similar circumstances. So they basically shipped into the country and are just having them toil by pulling up clay out of the pit so that they can make more pottery with it. So they've, like, legit made a village of undocumented workers that they're just enslaving. So there's that. There's There's that. Yeah. So... Of course, the bad guys figure out that Nancy and Mr. Sung are there. And of course, they try to take them captive. Um, They're like, yeah, we're good. Actually, this is the most hilarious thing. They have decided they're going to abandon this place. So they are going to leave Nancy and Mr. Sung and also the father and daughter because they knew too much inside the smelting sitch, like the kiln, and just blow it up as one does. They're just going to blow that motherfucker up. I mean, as things go, it's it's an event of plan. Also, like, it's this fucking Civil War site. Nobody's going to question it if they see that it, it is apparently just demolished. And if they find any bo- bones, they're not going to know who the fuck it is. So, of course, um, Bess and George... Get Nancy's. Actually, they couldn't find Nancy's dad. Nancy's dad actually went to Washington that day or something like that. So they actually got Dick Milton, the school, <laughs> the undercover high school principal, um, to come out with them, and then they got like six police officers. Of course, oh my God! There's this. Whenever the shop was broken into, like, and I've mentioned this before, Chief McGinnis, who of course, you know, good old Irish name. Um, the two detectives who come out to investigate that crime were like Riley and like super Irish names just real fucking Irish so they find six random cops who are doing nothing else and they're like come with us we're going to find some immigrants <laughs> so best George Dick Milton six cops bust in there um, and they find the bad guys as you know David Carr the the guy who like was passing for white but also seemed to be um, the mastermind behind all of this As a brother, his mother was Chinese, his father was American, so David Carr looks like his dad, but his brother looks like his mom, so you have one guy who looks American, and you have another guy who looks Chinese, and the Chinese one, the one who looked Chinese is the one who was serving as Mr. Sung's butler. So he was intercepting all of his mail and all of his messages and making sure that he got no information about his friends, etc. So that's fine. So, of course, at the end of it, he's like, I've hated you this entire time, and I can't wait to explode your bones. And you're like, of course, honey, of course, it's fine. So the bad guys are caught. Um, The Lavender Sisters, who apparently um, are other confederates of David Carr slash... other whatever other, he, he went over under Manning as well as one of his other names, um, the Lavender Sisters, quote-unquote, were like the wives of the Confederates, um, the other Chinese workers didn't really know enough to, for them to be threatened by being exploded, so, anyway, but the cops are like, we're taking you all in for questioning, and you're like, they don't even speak fucking English, you dipshits, but it's fine, they go back home, um, everybody's happy, of course, the father and daughter get to go back to China, which is what they wanted all along. Like, they, this, this was terrible. This was a, just a terrible fucking vacation for four and a half years of being forced to make pottery in a, a really sweltering hot barn. Um, the Chinese character, of course, was help. Um, they made it out of scraps of metal that they found in the smelter. And he hung that ornament up on the chimney because he didn't know what else to do. Which is pretty fucking sad, honestly. Anyway, um, at the end of the book, the father and daughter and Mister Sung have made Nancy a vase, and the vase has a red dragon on it with three claws, and it has a girl who is wearing a suit of armor, and she is defending some people behind her. The girl is Nancy. The dragon is the three people that she fought, which would be the the two brothers and the wife who was posing as the, as the lavender sister who was very cruel to them and, and whipped them and beat them whenever they tried to escape. And the people that Nancy's protecting are the father, the daughter, and Mr. Song. And Nancy sees it and is like, this is like the fucking most awesome present anyone has ever given to me. And they're like, we want you to have this because we love you. And Nancy's like, this is the best day ever. So, So that's how the book ends. Everybody is, I won't say happy, but better off than they were anyway. (laughs) Also, Nancy has to babysit a toddler, and hilariously, no, she's not a toddler, she's probably like 12 months old or whatever, um, because of course, Dick Milton has a family when he's not being a high school principal, um, and she just puts her into the, um, into the little carriage and, like, rocks her back and forth until she goes to sleep, and then goes inside and reads a book, and I was like, did you leave a fucking baby on the front porch? Please say no. Please say no. But anyway, I'm like, you better not treat your, your Ned's child that way once you have one. Okay. Next week, we are going to be discussing Wooden Lady, which is fun for many reasons. But I do actually own a first edition of this one. And the way that you know that you own a first edition, which is a helpful person who supports me, sent to me, which I fucking love. Like, I was very, very grateful. Shout out. You know that you have a first edition because the first illustration in the book is of Nancy and Ned looking through a shop window at one of their suspects and Ned has a fucking cigarette between his fingers. (laughs) Plot twist. Um, There's never any reference in any of these books to any of them actually smoking. And um, when parents saw that Ned was smoking in this book, they objected strenuously to Ned being depicted as smoking. So in all subsequent editions of the book, the cigarette is missing. Otherwise, the illustration is exactly the same, which I thought was interesting. Anyway, so that's the one that we're gonna be reading next week. I hope you enjoyed this, and as always, stay sleuthy, my friends.